0: Question one, who are you? My name is Dewey Conway, and I'm the author of the Shimmer World Chronicles, which is an upper middle grade fantasy that I've set in a fantastical world of quest seekers and their chroniclers. I'm also an illustrator, and I specialize really in pencil and ink line art. I've been doing that for a long time, and uh, it's definitely an integral part of how I write and how I think. I'm also a musician and play the bass guitar and classical piano. More on that later. Where am I? I'm located in the great state of Texas, in the Woodlands, which is a suburb just north of Houston. Um, What's interesting about our community is that it's built with the philosophy of maintaining as much of the indigenous flora and fauna as possible so my house is surrounded by 40 to 50 foot pine trees, and it's not unusual for me to wake up to see deer walking down the front street here. Even though we're a community with Kroger and Target and all of that, we, we still it feels like I'm very much part of the um, part of the forest. Uh, being in Texas, though, it's a warm winter and a hot summer, and the humidity is usually at a constant 85 to 90 percent. And being in the middle of pine trees means that the pollen is just off the charts. So I usually stay inside most of the time, which contributes to why I write. (laughs) Has your environment shaped how you write? Clicks, fab things, fads, lifestyle, etc. Well, I don't do clicks, and I am not a fan of fads. For fab things... Well, listen to what I tell you, and you can tell me whether it's fab or not. By trade, I'm an educator here for the local school district. Uh, I'm currently an instructional technology coach, which is a specialist in teaching teachers how to use technology tools in a way that lets students show what they know about what they're learning. When I was in the classroom, I taught at the intermediate level, which is fifth and sixth grade or 10 to 12 year olds. And the subjects I taught were English and language arts. And then later on, I taught science and social studies. And I'm telling you about this because working with these students at this grade level really influenced my decision to pursue writing upper middle grade. Uh, Children at this age are starting to think critically. They're questioning ideas and authority, but still following the rules. They like to explore. They're fascinated with how things work the magic of the unknown, and um, to be honest, that's how I am at my core. So after a while, I realized that my own outlook on the world and fascination with fantasy and magic aligned most with the upper middle grade mindset. In the end, I guess, uh, teaching helped me determine what I would write and who I would write for. Question two. Let's go back to the beginning. What type of books did you read growing up? The earliest novel I read that I can remember was The Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Uh, it was a book handed down from my sister. And when I say handed down, I mean I snuck into her room and stole it because that's what brothers do. Uh, from, from there, uh, my dad got me into... Uh, fantasy and science fiction and some of the authors that he introduced me to were uh, Frank Herbert, Anne McCaffrey, uh, Orson Scott Card, Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury. There weren't a lot of middle grade authors I liked back when I was growing up. I mean, I don't think middle grade was even a category to tell you the truth. (laughs) We had children's books you know, like Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys, Judy Bloom, Roald Dahl. Oh, I love Roald Dahl, though. Uh, but like every good hmm, D&D enthusiast, one author I dived into early was Tolkien. I love The Hobbit. Wow. The Hobbit was, was my first book to really expose me to um, to adventure and questing. This led me to authors like uh, Raymond Feist in the early '80s and Terry Brooks, mm, and I love reading the Shannara series. You know, the last set of books I read from him um, was the Magic Kingdom for Sale series, which is uh, not a recent series, I know, but it's one I liked because it had more of a young adult feel to it. But really, growing up, my passion was comics and comic books, but. I mean, and I liked Marvel and I liked DC, but I really liked the more, um, I liked the independent comics and one that really stuck out was Cerberus by uh, Dave Sim, who I still read to this day. His deep and rich storytelling just spoke to me along with his artwork that the black and white art with the grayscale shading is so impressive. And the stories became this very cool, complex, epic fantasy in this in this layered world that I was just instantly sucked into. Robert Graves is another author I discovered in my youth. Uh, I, Claudius and Claudius the God are the two books that inspired me to pursue studies in college uh, concerning the birth of the Roman Republic and the Julio Claudian. Roman imperial houses. Uh, His work is such a great interpretation of that period of history. Um, And I guess lastly, I have to say that Jeff Smith's Bone series made a lasting impression upon me uh, in more ways than one. Uh, Besides the storytelling, uh, his black and white artwork just led me to develop my own skills as an ink artist uh, using brushes, and I know they're colorized now with Scholastic taking his work, but he was uh, one of the early self-publishers in all black and white that made it through hard work and dedication. Do you return to the books? I return to all of these books often. Uh, in my office, I have a library filled with well, mostly analytical history, uh, interpretive history, and, and uh, big part of that is uh looking at roman medieval and renaissance history i have a shelf dedicated to graphic novels um, which um, i do enjoy visiting that uh, as well as a significant portion uh, looking at mythology um, namely joseph campbell and his anthropological studies in mythology I, i just love reading his work Uh, good stuff. And strangely enough, fun reading. (laughs) I do love reading old comics. Uh, the smell of comics just really inspires me, uh, to, to write for some reason. Love the old artwork and the fading pages. The question, did someone inspire me to write? Well, uh, everything I read inspires me to write, uh, either in a good way or a bad way. Um... For the most part, I loved the way that Jeff Smith told the Bone story uh, as an artist and a sequential storyteller. I, he just hit the mark. Uh, that story is so uh, complex and funny, but um, I really started thinking, and that was back in college in the, in the 90s, and so I was really... Um, looking for a new way to to express my creativity. And when Jeff Smith came out with that series, it just uh, inspired me to to try to write on my own. Um, I will say that if someone is listening to this, you may ask, what in the world? We're talking about books, not comics. Well, to me, storytelling is storytelling. And sequential storytelling uh, is a a medium that that utilizes two parts of your brain. <laughs> so in my opinion, uh, comics, movies are just as valid as a storytelling agent as books. And so I'll I'll kind of mix it all together because that's how I think. Question 3. What steps do you take to write a book? Well, the first big step I take is coming up with an idea. <laughs> Uh, strangely enough, my best ideas come to me while I'm driving. There's uh, there's just something about my focus on the road that lets my creative mind generate ideas verbally. You know, so as I talk things out, I used to have a micro tape recorder to record my ideas and what I was saying. Of course, uh, tapes are impossible to find anymore, so uh, I about 10 years ago, purchased a digital recorder, which went the way of the trash can after so many years. And now I just use a, an app on my phone to record any ideas that happen to pop into my head while I'm heading off to the local Target. Usually I start with the question, what if? So for example, with my current manuscript, I started by wondering what if a very grumpy monk who hated being around people, was required to be around people to record history in a chronicle. And then I thought, well, what if that grumpy monk had to follow someone around and record their history, and that person was obnoxiously happy all the time? Which, of course, led to the idea for my character, uh, Tanner, and so on. So it's really just a what-if game. Uh, But once I've narrowed down an idea... And who my characters are. And I, I do start with characters. Uh, I work on the plot. Which takes me forever. You see. Uh, there's a thing with writers now. Um, the planner versus the pantser. They're both kind of what they sound like. Uh, a planner is someone who plans out every detail of the plot. From start to finish. With a very detailed outline serving as their roadmap. Uh, a pantser conversely is someone who sits down and lets the writing take them where they need to go uh, there's even a third term out there um, a hybrid term if you will called the planter, <laughs> which is someone who goes in with a rudimentary outline of the story but then writes a story and lets the plot just reveal itself through character and and so on so i, I will say that in the beginning um I sit down and write out some general ideas, but once I have those ideas on paper, I then translate that into a, an outline that's very detailed. So I'm definitely a planner, which can frustrate, but that's just how it works. Next question is, when do you pull the plug? Well, I, I pull the plug when I'm not feeling it anymore. You yeah, know, that's awfully vague, uh, not feeling it. Uh, what I mean is that if the story isn't going anywhere, or I no longer care about the characters or the action, I'll, I'll shelve it. But uh, come to think of it, I never really pull the plug on an idea completely. I either transmorph it into what I'm currently writing, or just archive it and maybe come back to it later. It's always still there somewhere. Uh, are there big no-no's? Well, yeah, uh, I don't write about things I'm not comfortable with, and I don't ever write about sex or hardcore violence. I, I don't use curse words, though I'll include some like mildly crude humor every now and then when it's appropriate to the character. You know, think 12-year-old boy humor. Uh, with that said, I guess I'm a bit of a prude, Uh, But I I don't enjoy reading scenes where it's nothing but sex, sex, gore, sex, blood. I I don't enjoy that. It's why I can't watch Game of Thrones or Walking Dead. (laughs) What is most important? Uh, I believe that developing characters that have a genuine relationship of friendship is most important to to my stories, all of my stories. Uh, In fact, all of my ideas center around this theme somehow of building trust, earning friendship. Uh, I believe the action and the plot is a backdrop for these themes to flourish and to grow. So that's what's most important to me. Question four. Who are you reading right now and why? Uh, I'm reading a Wizard for Hire by Obert Skye. Uh... Such a strange name for an author, and yeah, yes, I know, it's a pseudonym, but I'm enjoying the book, and he writes, well, uh, it's about a boy whose parents are scientists uh, living deep in the forest of Oregon. They're working on some kind of mind control, but are kidnapped by the government, uh, agents of the government, so he's left alone uh, to survive. Uh, He's afraid to go anywhere for help because he knows his parents' work was super secret. And uh, digging around, he finds this box with a solar-powered bird named Clark who encourages him to explore outside the safety of his cabin. I mean, I love it. It's ridiculous and fun, and I enjoy that. Um, I also love books about mysteries of the world, cryptozoology, UFO abductions, uh, all of that. Uh... These are all interesting deep dives into the human psyche, you know, and uh, how we deal with the unknown by creating a a known thing Uh, for some mythology. I just finished reading Neil Gaiman's uh, Norse mythology, which is absolutely fascinating. He is such a great writer, so I definitely recommend that book. Uh, when you pick up a book, what are you looking for? Okay, so I'm looking for strong characters and authentic dialogue in my fiction books. Uh, I want a 12-year-old kid to sound like a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> they're snarly, they're sassy, they're all about them, they're not thinking about the world, they're not questioning life. So I do enjoy books that have a little more authentic voice. I'm also looking for a good hook in the first few pages. I'm not one to sit and read and read and read before finding my interest 50 pages in. I want something in the beginning, on that very first page, uh, to make me say, wow, this is worth my time to read because it's super interesting and weird. And um, though I don't like too weird, unless it's done right, I do like the strange and bizarre, uh, the imaginative, the creative uh for example, in The Gravedigger's Son by uh the author uh Patrick Moody, he dives right into the weirdness of his world on the first page in the first three paragraphs. I mean, listen to this. This is chapter one. Uh, Ian Fosser sat close to the fire, mindlessly poking at the embers with a stick. He liked to watch them flicker and spark, fizzle and pop. It helped him pass the long nights in the graveyard, especially when he grew tired of his lessons. Immediately I'm thinking, what? He's in a graveyard? <laughs> <laughs> and he has, he has lessons. What kind of lessons? Now, now, lad. Look up here. Ian lifted his eyes to his teacher, which was a difficult task. Bertram wasn't the easiest thing to look at. There were a couple of reasons for this. One, he had the odd habit of staring. It unnerved Ian, especially because his teacher never blinked. And two, he wasn't exactly alive. Whoa. <laughs> I just love that. Just So right off the bat you have this kid who is bored with his lessons, which uh, it tells me he's, what, 12, 11, 12, 13. You know, he, he doesn't want to be there. He's in a graveyard at night uh, listening to what turns out to be a zombie teach him something, and so immediately I'm hooked. I'm ready to read this. You got me. I'm ready to go. Uh, worst book ever. Uh, I don't want to list a worst book ever ever, there's, um I'm going to, yeah, every book is someone's dream. Not to be too corny with that, but I don't want to denigrate that. Uh, every book that's published is an accomplishment for that author at some level. And so that's something I'm trying to achieve. I, I don't want to say or pinpoint a worst book. However, I will say sometimes that there's been... Those instances when I pick up a newly published book and thumb through the pages and wonder how in the world did this get published? You know, it breaks all the rules. It's boring. It's, it's, uh, anyway, it just reminds me that whenever I've come across these books that publishing is an industry first and the, the objective is to sell, sell, sell. So anyway, uh, I do have some worst experiences reading books Uh, Namely, those in high school that uh, I was required to read books I didn't want to read. I believe that you know, unless you're using the book to teach an explicit form of writing technique, you know, students should be allowed to choose what they're reading, uh, to choose their own book. Uh, There's uh, there's something to be said for being able to engage with something you've chosen. And uh, I believe that students need to have that that self-choice. Uh, anyway, most of the books I had to read for classes I didn't like. Uh, but it was, you know, as I grew older, I found it was really more the experience, being forced to read it, versus the book itself. For example, I hate I hated reading Jack London in high school. But now, I, I have a full collection of Jack London. I love his writing. So... I, I, I can say that my worst experience is being forced to read something I don't want to read. Question five. What was the inspiration for your novel? Well, first and foremost, kids are my inspiration. You know, the idea that a young student could read my book and potentially walk away with their own imagination sparkling with my story... That's just awesome. To be a little more specific, I guess I should tell you a little about my book. It's about a grumpy young chronicler uh, in training who's lost one person in his life that meant everything to him, uh, which was his adopted aunt. So uh, she was a chronicler, a master chronicler, and she disappeared in a mysterious way. He's forced to resume his studies chronicling for an over-the-top, naive quest-seeker uh, who is the first girl to ever try to be a champion? Um, and so, what inspired me to write this was that the relationship between the chronicler and the quest seeker uh, and the friendship that develops—that's always my theme, and that's—and that's what's and what inspired me. Uh, I I, I like and I'm fascinated by friendships. Uh, they're a strange thing, you know, is elusive. Uh, it's like one day you meet someone and you decide, yeah, <laughs> you got something I like. I think I'll allow you in my life for a little while. And you know, that's just, <laughs> that's just so strange. Uh, that's the concept really that inspired me to write this particular book. Uh, children, should see that positive friendship between a boy and a girl that's not drenched in sex and relationships and divisive mechanics of boys versus girls. Uh, in, in my opinion, you know, kids don't get enough of the message. Let's be friends. Let's trust each other not have ulterior motives except to maybe do fun stuff together. That's my inspiration. Honest friendship. And what was the hardest part about making it? Okay, the hardest part about writing a book is making sure everything connects in a realistic way. Uh, That and including the scenes that directly impact the story. So for middle grade, uh, upper middle grade, the plot must be tight. It must be cohesive with no long, drawn-out scenes, have nothing to do with the end goal. And in fantasy, this is difficult because magic is everywhere and the impossible can happen, uh, which can lead to a whole bunch of extra stuff that has nothing to do with the overall goal. (laughs) I find myself getting stuck in that world building because it's fun and it's inventive. But, uh, my, I have to use, and I've developed this over time. Um, I have to use my personal, you know, too much fantasy barometer for recognizing what needs to be cut. And, and that barometer works with the question of whose enjoyment is this information for? Is it for me or is it for the reader? So if it's for the reader, it stays. If it's for me, it's probably gonna go. Now, actually cutting it's the hard part, but I've gotten a lot better about that over time. <laughs> What's my favorite part about writing? My favorite part is successful editing and feeling like I've written something exactly the way I want it. Editing is that slice and dice game that can either be a joy or it can be an excruciating pain. Um, but I enjoy it in a weird sort of way. You know, you go in, you reorganize your scenes, you streamline your action and your dialogue. You get to see the characters grow and figure out the best way for them to grow and the best way for that to come across. And I I, I do enjoy that. So um, there you go. Question six. What kind of book is it on your shelf but you'd like to see there? Hmm. I would like more young adult fantasy books that include humor. Genuinely funny humor, you know, and, and natural humor between kids, uh, smart and witty, not dull and mean or or humor that an adult thinks sounds like a kid. <laughs> I like genuine banter back and forth. There's not a lot of that with what I see with young adults. Uh, it seems to be really serious, oh, uh, you know. And there, there is time for that, but there's not a lot of humor, at least not what, from what I've seen at the book on the bookstore shelves. Though you know, I could be completely wrong. I, I haven't read everything. Uh, I'd also like to see more young adult books that aren't preachy and. Profound or serve some media-generated agenda that's trendy for the day, you know. I I just I get tired of that. I I don't want to sit down and be hit over the head with some modern-day Western-centric political or social message. I don't need that. I don't think kids need that. Kids need to just enjoy the story. Jeez, just imagine how in ten or twenty years, when the social climate completely changes, how these books will. Seem dated and unreadable. I want something that's a little more timeless, um, which which can be which can be hard, I guess, uh, to do. Why don't we have more of these books? Well, books with humor. Uh, well, I think capturing kid humor is extremely difficult if you're not a kid, <laughs> or if you're not around them. I mean, duh. What I mean is, I've met a few middle grade and young adult authors who try to emulate what a twelve year old would say and it comes out like an adult trying to be a 12-year-old, you know, and find out by being around kids, you know. Volunteer at a library. Read books to the students. They'll love you for it. Uh, Ask them questions about what you've read and if they like it or not, and they'll tell you. (laughs) Listen to what they're saying. Or even, if you can, talk with the teachers. They'll tell you some stories. I guarantee that. (laughs) They've got some. Uh, but eh, I guess I'm getting off track. Anyway, I'd like to see more young adult books that are humorous and fun, uh, not so apocalyptic and serious. Um, if anyone has recommendations, please send me a note. I would love I would love to check out some books that that um, that have the humor elements to them. That's genuine and fun. So let me know. I'd love to hear it. Question seven, what are your writer do's and don'ts for marketing? I haven't started my own marketing blitz, but I've been on the receiving end and I've started thinking about how I would handle it. Uh, What amazes me is a misconception that once you're published, you just sit back and the company takes care of marketing. (laughs) Ha! Uh, I've met and talked with so many authors who spend so much time uh, marketing their industry published books uh, with with just this incredible investment and very little payback, and sometimes it seems desperate. You know, uh, if you're using Twitter, you have scheduled tweets and emails to everyone you know, pushing the book without thought to who the intended audience even is. But I haven't hit that point yet, so I'm not sure how it's going to go down for me. Uh, what I do know is that getting into a school library is Important, and that's one thing that I'm going to try to do right away. Uh, I want to get my books into the hands of the elementary and intermediate school librarians and the teachers. Uh, they're the gatekeepers for what our students read, uh, regardless of what the industry tells you, regardless of what an agent tells you. The people that get and are respected to determine what is appropriate reading is going to be the school librarian and the teacher's in the classroom, uh, parents rely on them for their expertise. And if you win them over and you get in and talk to the kids in a way that's not condescending, but you're actually sending them a message, uh, they'll, they'll love you for it. And so that's where I want to go. Um, I want to start there. Uh, I always, um, i always enjoy when an author comes and speaks to students when i'm in when i'm at a school and so i know that the librarians are also always looking for an author to come and speak to the kids about the joy of reading and writing uh you know that's that's a struggle in the classroom having kids write Um, library visitations will definitely be on my list for marketing Uh, Book readings, book signings, all of these things are important, I believe, for building awareness, but it all depends on the interest level and viability of the story with my intended audience. So when I get to that point, I will see what I do. Have you had any social media mishaps, misadventures, or misses? Well, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and I have my own personal website. Uh, I haven't had any mishaps or misadventures because... Um, I truly believe that this is a professional endeavor and that everything you say and do online remains online, regardless if you delete it or not. And so if I'm going to, well, part of my marketing would be a presentation of me. And if I go and say I'm not ever going to write anything with curse words I'm not ever going to write anything with overt political agendas and then I go and make some big long tweet about you know how I feel about the state of the world or whatever I mean that's that's hypocritical and um, potentially disastrous for my image as, as the author I want to portray and, and which is who really who I am so I don't really get on Twitter or Facebook, or my own website to air grievances I have with the world, (laughs) which I really don't have too many. Anyway, uh, I do think an author shouldn't spread themselves too thin with social media presence, nor spend a ton of time on it. Uh, At the time of this writing, I have just over 700 Twitter followers, and I've been on Twitter for a couple of years. But I don't believe Twitter to be an effective means to market books. I think it's great for connecting with people who might have a like mind or in a similar community, like hash, hashtag writing community, you know, uh, but not for selling things. Uh, I think it's great for building awareness, but not for selling things. I know when I when I see a string of book promos from an author, I get annoyed and I mute, but then that's grumpy old me. <laughs> uh would you or do you partake in panels at conventions Uh, i have not i have not given a panel at a writing convention um as a as an instructional technology coach i i do this all the time um inside the district and externally but um for writing, I was just talking about this with my writing pal the other day, and we had just attended a conference, um, and we're a little frustrated with the sessions. Uh, it wasn't that they they weren't good; it's just that they were simple, you know, things we knew, and, and nothing that really applied to where we are as writers at this moment. You know, I've been to five writing conferences, and two of which were for my specific age group, you know, uh, picture books, uh, middle grade to young adult. And I've walked away wanting more. I mean, I get stuff out of it. I I like to meet people, and um, believe it or not, and I I do enjoy hearing other stories. Uh, And there's always agents at these conferences, uh, and you can pay to talk to them about or pitch your book or whatever. Uh, And I do enjoy that experience because it it's a nice um, it's a nice different professional experience for me. But um, as far as partaking in panels, yeah, I would love to participate in a panel that actually explores deeper elements of character creation or facilitate a discussion with other writers and uh, to hear how they connect with their characters, how they make them real, how they world build it without diving too deep. And um, are they planners and pantsers or what are they? And how they translate everything that they know into the written word. Oh, well. So that's my take. Question eight. What's something that every writer needs to be doing in the real world? Well, uh, they need to be living. (laughs) I believe it's important to give yourself time to do other things not related to writing. When I can always tell when my creative writing meter, so to speak, is hitting the red because my creativity dips to zero and I just simply don't want to write anymore uh one thing i'll do is i'll give myself a few days permission not to write i find that digging into my art helps recharge my writing battery um i'll take i have an ipad pro and i use um i use procreate which is a great app um, that simulates pencils just wonderfully and i'll go and i'll sit out and and draw some landscape or i'll i'll sketch people uh I, I, I find that that recharges me, and I also find that I'm not thinking about writing at that point. I'm just creating and expressing. Uh, I also like to record music. I play bass guitar. I've been playing that since I was um, before high school, and uh, I do enjoy uh, recording bass lines and, and even figuring out some complicated bass lines from different groups, and uh, that's always fun to do. Uh, I'm also one of those strange introverts that gets energy from being around people I know that sounds really weird because I, I prefer to be left alone and not talk to anybody if I don't have to and uh, I really don't like small talk or idle chit chat but you know I recognize we're a communal species and that's just part of it and uh, it's a big reason why I became a teacher I didn't I, did, I enjoy teaching I enjoy interacting with kids kids because they're off, they're mostly authentic um i don't enjoy all the adult paperwork stuff that comes with teaching but i enjoy teaching students i think it's important to realize what makes you tick and to allow yourself time to have that and not be on such a pressured schedule to finish the writing finish the writing finish it I find that I shut down after a little bit if I if I pressure myself too much. Um, it's important to get out of the house, go to the park, sit and listen and enjoy the the time that's going around you. You know, it, you hear the birds, you see the bugs. I mean, it's it's nature is a great recharging battery. Uh, the story will get done. But it's not going to get done if you're spinning your wheels. You know, you need to re-energize in whatever way you can, and make sure that you just step away for a while. Why do we lose track of the essential stuff? Uh, I, I believe it's just a matter of getting caught up in it. Yeah, I, I have a personally, I have a tendency to be a little OCD, yeah, and I know everybody's OCD. I'm OCD. I'm OCD. I, I mean, I obsess about about something, and I can't stop thinking about it. So if I'm in the story, and I'm disturbed while I'm in the story, I tend to get a little annoyed. And so I, I really had to find those times where I'm not going to be disturbed. But really, it's easy to lose track of all this essential stuff because you just you get in that zone, and you want to write, and you just want... You got to finish the story. And that's just what happens. I do the same with drawing. It's the same with with music. It's the same with um, reading a book. You just dig in and you're stuck because you want to be stuck. And if you let yourself do that too much, it'll drain your battery. And so you have to get out and do other things. Question nine. Tell us about other things you write. What attracts you to that or those genres? I like writing comics. Sequential storytelling is an art that just meshes the two parts of my creative brain together. Uh, that can be very challenging, though. Uh, but, but what I find uh, when I write is that most everything I, I write and draw is comedic, you know. Uh, what's funny about that is I, I don't mean to be funny. I, I but I can't be serious in my writing or illustrating. You know, I, I like fantastical things. I like uh, when magic happens. But I like I like the funny parts about it. Uh, and and funny isn't ridiculous. Adult life is way too serious. Uh, that's why I don't read the news, or watch TV, or or do celebrity blog sites or any of that. You know, but I guess I'm getting off track. Uh, (laughs) I've also written a few stories set in early 1900s America, (laughs) which is, you know, a complete 180 from the comic strip uh, stories that I was just telling you about. Uh, But these are um, based on my mother's family and some of the strange things they had to deal with uh, on the farm. Uh, this particular story I'm thinking about uh, dealt with the burden of social norms in the early 20th century, uh, specifically with children born out of wedlock. Uh, my mom's great aunt, I found out through some research, wasn't really her great aunt, but was her cousin because she was born out of wedlock. Uh, you see, her mother became pregnant right before World War One, and... Um, the man left her we never knew his name uh uh, so she carried the baby to term but was locked away in an institution because the family didn't want the embarrassment so uh the child grew up thinking she was a sister to my grandmother instead of a niece and and she thought this till the day she died just nuts so and um fascinating story and and super serious i know but um still uh also i have several uh startups of stories uh, one's a full-on fantasy and another's sci-fi but uh, really right now i'm just focusing on this current manuscript and its world so that's where i am are there things you won't write yes uh, there's a whole genre of books i will never read and i will never write and i hope this doesn't offend anyone it's nothing against these writers Uh, But romance just baffles me. I just don't get it. Uh, It makes me squirm in my seat. (laughs) So I I guess I won't ever write it. Uh, I just, yeah, I just don't get it. Um, I won't write blood and guts, horror, or dark fantasy. I I don't connect with that too well. I, I may read it every now and then, but I don't write it. I will never write explicit sex scenes or use any cursing, heavy duty cursing and vulgarity. I just don't, it doesn't speak to me as a writer. Um, I won't write anything to do with child abuse or uh, spousal abuse or drug use. Uh, You know, these are things I just don't have experience with. And I know there are plenty of authors out there that do explore these topics, and I applaud them for it, because if they do so, it's because they are somehow writing about their own experiences. And that, to me, is authentic for them, but for me, it would not be authentic, and I don't connect with it. So I will never write about those topics. Question 10. Who has your back? I have a critique partner who is a godsend. He's brutally honest, and he has my best interest at heart. When he makes suggestions to me about my writing, it is, um, I know, coming from a place of wanting me to improve. And so that's he's the guy that's got my back. Uh, my collaboration with him has seriously upped my writing confidence and given me a deeper perspective on story construction. You know, and when I'm about to throw in the towel because I'm just I'm done, uh, he's there to listen and get me back on track. And he knows who he is <laughs> if he's listening. But uh, what I'm getting at is that it's essential for a writer to have someone who is also writing themselves to be there to bounce ideas, to talk things through to commiserate and cry, uh, and, and to help you be the best you can be. Who is your support? Now, this is a different question from who has my back. So, uh, in my opinion, uh, my support group would be my wife and my kids. Of course, my daughter's a very talented artist, a digital artist on, um, by herself. I mean, she's, she's just developed this wonderful portfolio, uh, And it's online, and she does commission work. And so she understands, at least in her early years here, she understands what it means to be an artist. And she supports whatever I do. I I love that. Um, My mom, my sisters, my wife's family, they all have my back, so to speak. Um, Or they're my support, rather. Uh, I find knowing that they're there believing in me is enough I don't need their validation so much. I'm not one to go out and air my problems or my struggles. And I just, I'm kind of private that way. But um, just knowing that they're not, they, they're they're proud that I'm doing this. I mean, it's one of the things I do. And so um, that's who's my support. Uh, Where do you go? What do you do to recharge? So I talked a little about this earlier, about drawing and playing music. And um, something completely different than the writing is really important. Uh, I I need to do something separate. Uh, I think it's important to have a writing space and a recharge space. So for my writing space, I have a room with my desktop, two monitors, comfortable chair, minimal distractions. Uh, I have... um, in this room, I have some books, but not a lot. And then I have my office, which is my recharge space. And this has my full library, um, has a very comfortable chair, <laughs> and, you know, uh, like a lounge chair, uh, two big gaming monitors, and windows that look out to the garden. Uh, I sit, I read, play games in here. I'm a huge World of Warcraft fan, so I have to um, have some time for that. And um, my dog helps me recharge. She's fiercely protective of me, and so she'll sit right next to me. She uh, sleeps at my feet when I read or I draw. Uh, she notices everything. so um, it's kind of funny having her in the room. Now, I know I, I know that when I say recharge and uh, in this instance, I was saying everything, is inside i do get out i promise i'm not in a recluse but recharging usually doesn't involve crowded spaces Uh, i I cannot go to the mall to recharge Uh, that's exhausting to me Uh, but i can go to the bookstore Uh, the smell of books recharges me too i love the smell of books going and shopping for books at the Half Price Books, um, which we don't have here in Houston. Uh, we have, but in my mom's town, um, there's one there. So I, I get to go and visit them. And that's why I do to recharge. Question 11. Looking at legacy, how do you want to be remembered? <laughs> I want to be remembered to somebody who was a kind person. Uh, well That's boring, isn't it? But, but it's true. I, I don't like nasty people. Ugh! It would kill me if after I'm gone that that's how I'm remembered. You know, be be kind, be nice. Don't hurt people, even if they annoy you. Don't hurt them. It just, just they just annoy you. And and I, I want to be remembered as somebody who, who cared and who was kind. Uh, this is a theme in my writing, you know, with friendship and and. Um, there's at least one main character that's always very kind in a genuine way. Uh, I want to be remembered as that person who, uh, after a rainstorm, picked up the earthworm that was stuck in the street and put it back in the dirt, without any expectation of, of praise or wow that that's that was really noble of you or whatever. You know, no, uh, I I I want to be remembered as a person that um, was always aware of the responsibility to be a part of the wellness of the planet, and that includes people uh, and animals. Um, kindness is the first step there, and uh, genuine kindness uh, without reward. I'm not in this for money. I mean, how can I be? I'm a teacher writing books. There's no money there. Uh, I'm, I'm not in this for glory or for fame, uh, though I would like some validation from my peers and those I respect with what I'm writing, but I just want to be remembered as someone who, you know, once you're a friend, um, you know, I'll be kind and I'll do anything for you to make sure you're well, because I picked you and you're my friend. Is there a project that you've got to do in the future, a kind of capstone? I I would really want to complete a graphic novel version of this story that I'm, that I've written. Uh, that takes so much time. Having having completed a few comics in my time, it just takes an enormous amount of planning and time and work to get that done. Uh, the technology, though, has increased the speed of this. You know, when when I was drawing comics way back in the late nineties, um, it I. With ink with brushes and and so that just takes forever to do now everything is digital and it's so much quicker so much faster on the ipad pro i i can do things i couldn't even begin to think i could do back in the 90s when i had the physical media i was working with but anyhow yeah that, that's a project i would definitely like to to accomplish is a, a graphic novel version of my story i think it'd be really pretty cool Question twelve: Do our stories equal our culture? <laughs> You're going Joseph Campbell on me here, Moss. Uh, I believe, and and this is my opinion, um, that we have different modes of storytelling and culture. Um, for example, families have stories, and they build their own internal culture through the storytelling. You know, from old to young. Uh, for example, my my grandfather would tell me stories about the family, some of the, some of the good, some of the bad, and how the family came to Texas, to the U.S., and so so on. Uh, his stories are part of my own culture, my family's culture, the, the one that I know about, and they're special to me. And, and it's something that I feel would be necessary to pass to my own children when the time comes. And then we have uh, storytelling and a broader cultural development, uh, specifically with how the story or myth represents that culture. <sighs> for, for example, I watched a movie recently called Whale Rider, which is based on a book by the same name that uh, focuses on how the Maori came to New Zealand and were led by a mighty warrior on the back of a whale. Um, and in modern times, a young girl who has the same name as that warrior is shunned by her her community and by her grandfather, who is the uh, leader of their of their uh, tribe, so to speak. And so, um, because she she is a girl, and anyhow, what I'm getting at is that their culture in the movie is completely defined. By this story, and um, you know, in the end of this one, um, the culture actually changes because they realize that it's the act of being a hero, and it's not about gender, but um, the qualities of leadership that really matter. And that, that's kind of a, it was a it was a nice story that way. But uh, to get back to the point here, stories do equal culture in that respect. The next question is: Does storytelling shape identity? So I guess this kind of blends together. Yes, it does. (laughs) For example, um, uh, absolutely. For for example, ancient cultures are identified by their myths. You know, we we see the Norse people, uh, the ancient Norse people, through the stories of Thor and Loki. You know, they're handed down to us. uh, by Snorri uh, Snorluson. And, uh, then, and then we see the ancient Greeks through the Hercules and through Zeus and those stories and early American culture, even um, right out the pre-revolution and post, you know, you have stories of Paul Revere. It's a mythical kind of story and how he rode the night uh, warning that the British are coming and the Benedict Arnold and the Salem witch trials and Paul Bunyan, you know, we have a lot of myth building and cautionary storytelling, uh, that shapes identity of a people. But uh, in the modern world, uh, we can see, I believe, some versions of this storytelling identity shaping, not only through books, but through movies and comics. And, you know, I'm going to use Star Wars as my example. Uh, When I was growing up, I saw Star Wars in the theater way back in 1977. I I fell in love with it. It was a story that that spoke to my my heart and my desire for adventure and just being this hero. And my parents bought the toys, I had the curtains and the sheets and the pillowcases <laughs> and the stuffed wookies and ewoks. And you know that all that all of that was from this story that ended up shaping my identity and who I was. And now there's entire groups of people that gather to celebrate this story. And it's the same with Star Trek and Doctor Who and comic books and Harry Potter. These stories provide a sense of identity that gives unity to people who may not have anything else in common. And that's kind of cool. You know, everyone is looking... ...to identify with something greater than themselves, I believe. And storytelling can provide that. Uh, The next question is, what service to humanity do stories provide? Well, uh, it provides a way to create an immortal soul, so to speak. It's a snapshot of who we are at a particular time in history. You know, the books of today will serve as a snapshot of of us as a people and what we think and what we do and it's the same for any book from any time you know you read the hardy boys from the 50s and you're transported to that time and and it's a very dated set of books but they're fun to read and you get a sense of of who and what the american culture was like at that time through that story you you know stories provide that eternal voice of a people uh, not to be too dramatic, but, but but I believe that's why it's really important to write good stories that will last the ages. So, and, and that's it. You know, thanks, Moss, for the opportunity to answer your questions. I, I hope uh, if anyone's listening, they enjoyed um, my answers. Feel free to stop by my website at deweyconway.com or email me with any questions about writing. Uh, my email is dewey at deweyconway.com Hopefully you'll be seeing my book soon. Goodbye, everybody.